0: Welcome to the Move, Eat, and Re-Energize podcast show, where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition, and how to bring more energy into your day. In today's episode, I catch up with Darren Maroney, who has been in the fitness industry for 15 years and recently just started working for a YM, for the YMCA inside a brand new medium security prison. So I took a lot away from this chat with Darren, especially how he uses stoic philosophy to show up with unconditional positive regard for everyone he comes across with inside the prison. So sit back and enjoy the chat that Darren and I have. Aaron, g'day Darren.
1: Hey, how you doing Chris? Good mate. And um, anybody else out there? Yes,
0: hopefully there's everyone else listening eventually. But listen, um, can you give us a bit of a spiel about um, you? Your life and how you are. Well, what's your life like at the moment, and what you're doing?
1: Well, um, I've been in the fitness industry since um, probably late two thousand and three. I went. I did my um, cert three and four through the Australian Institute of Fitness um, up in Brisbane, and you know, I was lucky enough that um, my first PT job was with a guy who was fairly. Um, well respected guy in the, in the industry, him and his wife. Um, actually, their current company has Perform Better Australia. So oh, no I was way. lucky enough that I. Yeah, so Ken and Karen Baldwin, um, yeah. just name dropping a bit there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they were all my mentors to begin with. And I was lucky enough to work with them and um, um, was involved in bringing in the BOSU. To Australia I did a lot of stuff at Firelex and stuff in the early early days so I got a lot of exposure through through them to a lot of different things in the industry and then eventually um, left uh, Brisbane in 2006 and came down to Melbourne and then I worked worked in various gyms I started at Genesis at Southbank in Melbourne and then um, was there for um, a good 10 plus years there and then I I moved to Virgin Active for a while when they opened it down in Colindale. That's where I um, remember we met that on that morning. I met Dimity as well. Yeah, um, yeah, we she came and had a look, caught
0: up, and then Dim come down and have a chat with you as well, which was cool.
1: Yeah, I mean it was an amazing gym, um, pretty pretty phenomenal uh, facility. You know, I got to meet Richard Branson and um, you know experience the Virgin way of doing things. Um, and from there, I. I, I dabbled with going back to Genesis at South Bank and the model they were using there changed a little bit and it, it wasn't really my, my gig. So I was sort of just floating around for a few months and then I had applied for a job through the YMCA um, as a sport and recreation program leader at the soon to be opened Ravenhall Correctional Centre. So that that came through for me. Um, that was a very different setup to what I was used to being a PT, like no more early mornings, late finishes. It was like a nine to five sort of setup, which was something that I hadn't done in a very long time. So that meant a change of um, sort of circumstances at home as well, where I went from being um, not there in the mornings and, you know, uh, picking my son up in the the afternoons from daycare and then eventually um, kindy and then school to working you know the nine to five sort of job and it it, it's been a pretty good insight into the you know the the challenges that a lot of the people that i trained over the years were experiencing you know working those nine to five hours where you just don't have as much time to do um all the stuff that you want to do um i'm lucky enough that i do get a friday off so that allows me to obviously have a chat to you like this but also uh you know, get stuff done as well. So um, it's it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. And you know, if you'd asked me uh, even five years ago, would I be working in a correctional institution? I would have said, hell no. So, and that's that's never a dull a dull moment working in a, uh, a correctional facility for sure.
0: Yeah, I could imagine. So, so, like with that, tell us a bit more about. Um about your time starting that gig so a lot of us a lot of people know pts or know people who've become bts and gone on to other things you're still in the industry so but this would be like a totally different animal we would be really keen to see or hear what it was going from being a pt at genesis and virgin and going
1: into this um role yeah well it's um it was interesting when i applied for it because i would completely forgotten about uh, applying for it because uh, they'd had a huge response to it and they'd had a hundred plus applicants for it. And it took them a while to to work they, their way through the, um, the applicants to find the people they wanted to interview. So I got a phone call out of the blue one day saying, oh, this is the YMCA and we want to interview about this position and I completely forgot about it. <laughs> and um, it was, I think one of the, one of the first questions they asked in the interview is, you know, it, how are you going to feel working in a, you know, correctional facility with with prisoners. You know, blokes that have made mistakes, and um, you know that they're they're serving their time for the the things that they've they've done. And you know, it was a really interesting sort of question too, because you know, I think never having had much to do with the police, or you know, ne- never been arrested myself, or committed any any sort of um, crimes or broken the the law apart from getting the odd parking ticket here and there um it was you know it was a a fair bit of reflection on what my whole attitude towards working with incarcerated people was because you know at times i I would have the attitude that a lot of people would have and that's like you know these blokes have committed a crime just throw away the key you know put them away and you know they're, they're not useful to society anymore these are um men who who don't value um, anything apart from their own selfish needs and, and wants and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, kind of made me think that, you know, I'd hope that if, if I'd done something wrong that people would give me a shot, that they'd see that I have some chance for redemption, that, you know, I can serve my time and, you know, pay my debt to society and then become a, a productive member of society again. And, you know, that was the thing that I tried to uh, get across in my interview is that these are, are human beings. They've made mistakes, you know, the, the law has decided that um, they need to spend time inside a prison to, to make up for the mistake that they've made. But, you know, for the most part, the, the, the guys that we deal with are, are quite respectful, um, you know, that they realise they're inside prison and they, they actually treat the time that they have with us at the rec centre as the, the best time for them during the day um a lot of them feel like it's the only bit of freedom they get inside um prison because they can actually play a bit of sport they can use the gym or even just you know some of them just like having a, a conversation with you just having a chat and you know it's it, it's been uh, quite an eye-opening experience for me so i think um it's actually i think contributing to probably making me a a more understanding, a better person, but also, you know, I can apply that in coaching as well that, you know, I'm just treating each person um, as an individual and not trying to prejudge them or, um, you know, have a a preconceived idea of what they're like or an attitude that I'll take in. So from that side of things, it's been a a really, um, I think as a person I've grown, a fair bit as well. I mean, I started the the training in October last year, and the, the facility actually opened middle of November. Um, huh. And in the the capacity of the prison is thirteen hundred, and we've got just below, I think, nine hundred men inside the, the facility at the moment. So um, yeah, it's it, it's you know it's, there's a fair few guys in there, and you know that it's it. It's what they call the Nordic model of prisons. So, um, basically, the whole idea is that it's it's designed like a university campus. So there's a lot of freedom for the guys to move around to go from place to place. Whether it's to come to the gym, they have a lot of educational programs because a lot of these guys have, you know, they never finished school or they got halfway through school and dropped out for whatever reason. So, you know, and a big part of what the YMCA does um, at the prison, not only the rec centre, but they have a rebuild program there where they teach people skills like trades and skills that they can take away from the prison and um, secure employment because the two biggest problems that um, men that have been incarcerated have is finding a place to live and getting a job. So they're two of the big focuses that um, are in the prison and yeah, you know, the YMCA is a big part of that. We work a lot with young offenders as well. So um, trying to, you know, give these kids some guidance and mentorship that they may not get from uh, their family or friends outside. So, you know, it, the, the potential for impact on somebody's life inside this place is, is quite big. And I think that's probably one of the, the more satisfying parts of the, the job is that, you know, this time you spend with guys, it's, it, it's only for an hour uh, a day for each of the communities inside the prison but you know that's that's yeah. an hour where they can do whatever they want
0: and like they're pretty much how much so the hour they come in is like that's their movement time and all things like that they don't get much time outside of that do they to get
1: no not really not, not really like i mean it's it, it's a pretty big place um and it you know, they walk over and they the, the correctional officers uh, let them in and they come in and, you know, we we, um, we program, like we book certain sports like, you know, for example, it might be volleyball, uh, but we also have a gym attached there. So the, the guys are free to choose what they, they want to participate in. Uh, we're quite flexible as well. If there's not enough people for volleyball, we, we have um, basketball rings. Um, you know, we've got soccer goals there. Like we, it's... It, they've really spent a lot of money. Like it was a $500 million, uh, so half a billion dollars they spent building this place. And we um, were, you know, with a lot of the stuff, especially the outfitting of the the rec centre itself, it was almost like an open check. Like the the amount of like sporting equipment they got was phenomenal. Like there's there's a big oval in the middle of the prison with um, soccer goals that we play soccer out there. There's football goals out there so they can play footy. Footy's a huge one there love volleyball there's a lot of islanders in there as well so volleyball is a big sport that they like to to play as well so you know we we get myself I'm you know I'm not a big soccer player and um you know I get exposed to sports that I I don't play either like we can participate um in some of the sports there's some of them I choose not to because there's too much chance I might get bloody injured like roll a knee or an ankle but (laughs) yeah we're free to we're free to participate if we want to, if there's not enough, um, you know, there might be one or two people short. So, you know, there's an expectation there if, you know, we feel that we can, we can participate as well. And the, the men really enjoy that as well. They like having a bit of, bit of banter out there and they, they give you a bit of crap and, you know, trash talk you a little bit, but it's, it's all in good, good spirits.
0: Yeah. Cool. So tell me about the, the say the first day you had the inmates. That they were coming through to you yeah. to get their first sort of um, activities and recreation and stuff like that. What what was that like?
1: Oh, uh, it was that was a full on day because one like we had f- oh, about six weeks worth of training before the, the there were any men in the prison at all, and you know we had training in you know what to do if an incident kicks off if two blokes decide to start fighting or. Um, you know, there was a big um, emphasis on mental health as well because um, you know, forty percent of the men that come into the prison have some kind of diagnosed mental health problem. That's people that have been diagnosed. So, you know, mental health. You know, if you've got a mental health problem and then somebody locks you up, takes away your freedom, then you know that that doesn't make you feel too too fantastic either. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff um, around. Um, you know, having to interact with people who um, are not mentally well either. So, and I think for the for the men, when they came in, there was a little bit of a- apprehension as well because at first, um, when they, the first lot of guys came in, they assumed that we were correctional officers. We were just wearing YMCA t-shirts and that we were part of the um, the correctional staff. And so they were a little bit standoffish towards us at first so and you know just just trying to you know break the ice with with um, men that you'd never met before and you know the same for these guys being in a new a new prison new environment um you know that they, they were used to because majority of the guys that were brought in were incarcerated in other prisons and they were hand-picked to um come into the, the prison because they wanted that they obviously want to make it the the, the showcase as far as a, a new prison goes. So, um, you know, we these guys that, that they chose were, you know, better behaved and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we weren't getting um, the worst of the worst sort of um, when it came to that um, sort of the behaviour of the prisoners. And it's a medium security prison, so, you know, we we don't get too many of the the high profile people that you would see on the on the news and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it was I mean it was it, it was an intimidating um, experience. But you know what? At the end of the day, like I said, you know you, you speak to people with respect and treat them like human beings, and you know they know that it's a privilege to be in there that could be taken away from them if they misbehave. So you know we 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 didn't have too many too many issues with with that, but yeah there there was still that that little bit of a, uh, apprehension, not ever having worked in a in a prison before either like yeah now it's a it's an intimidating environment to go into like the the front when you go in through the front it's like you go through like an airport security scanner there's they x-ray your bags, all of your bags have to be see through all of your uh, food containers have to be see through you can't take um larger than a liter bottle through security it has to be empty um so you know even going through through that and then they use retinal scanning for the security to get in so you know you there's all these processes you have to go through and then you have to draw keys you carry around a, a personal alarm so um as much as i said that that you know the guys that they've they've got in there are better behaved it's still a prison um so you have to carry around a personal alarm which if you feel that you're in danger or or now you're in a situation that you feel could get worse then you know you can depress this alarm and then you know within um 10 seconds there'll be um custodial officers you know running to your location so um in the time that I've been there I've never I've never had to use it um and I've never felt that I've had had to use it but um you know that's just one of the realities of of being in a prison is that you know um you could end up in a a situation like that so you know, you need keys to get in and out of, out of places. And um, so, yeah, it's, you know, and there's big heavy doors that you have to go through. So it's a, you know, as much as it's, I said it was designed like a university campus, you know, we're still stopping blokes from, you know, taking away their freedom. So, you know, there's things that, you know, that you have to consider and, and think about. But, you know, it's 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 a fun job. Like I said, not every every day is is the same but um now after a while you know one day does sort of blur into, into another but yeah it's i must admit it was you know you're, you're you're like any first day on any job you're a bit nervous
0: and especially right, yeah.
1: because it's we're, we're not i'm not operating like a a normal pt does so we're, we're doing more sort of gym instruction work in the gym and then You know, when it comes to the sports, if we're not participating, we're like umpires or we're keeping score or, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's – you're not always super, super active, but, um, you know, there's a lot of um, just overseeing the the things and organisation and and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's plenty going on behind the scenes as well.
0: So, I guess the – where I want to go with the next part is like with what you were saying with like the first day – Never been in this environment before, and then I guess every day you come through that security check-in, and these guys that have had their take their freedom taken away, and yet you still have to show up with this that un- unconditional positive regard of each person when you're talking to them, so you don't have that thing in your brain, so in the back of your mind. What do you have? Anything that you work through or think? Anything you repeat to yourself to keep yourself in that frame of mind? Like this person, yes, he might have stuffed up obviously they have but because they're there they're stuffed up but they are still humans and they're still here to try and get better so hell, what yeah, do you what I, do you do to keep yourself in that that like that like i said that unconditional positive regard mindset where you're there to help everybody
1: well i think the big thing for me has been um Probably two or three years ago, um, I remember talking to a guy who was opening a gym, a local gym, and we had a chat because I was, I was interested in maybe working there. And, and we we got to talk, and he mentioned we, I mentioned something about uh, the way that my coaching style was, and he said, "Oh, you should check out the Stoics." And I didn't; I'd never heard um, about what that was, so I went home and I I, I looked it up, and I came across you know people like Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Seneca, all these old um, philosophers. And one of the big tenets of uh, the Stoic philosophy is that you, you have a, a, a sphere of control or an area that you can control, and that's things, your thoughts, your actions, and your words. And that there are things outside of your control that um, are going to challenge you every day, and you can get angry about them, you can get frustrated about them. But uh, you need to recognise what you can control and what you can't control. What I can control when I walk into the prison every day is my attitude, how I engage with people, um, what I think of them. Obviously, if I keep, you know, negative thoughts, then that, that's going to, you know, it's going to become very obvious um, straight away that my, my mindset's not where it should be. So I must admit the, uh, that the, the stoic uh, approach to things Um, has been really um, important and crucial in keeping that that whole idea that um, these people have value, they're they're human beings and, you know, they want to be treated that way. And, you know, a lot of the time any of the stuff they say to you, I mean, some guys are, you know, they're quite angry and and annoyed about stuff but, you know, 99.9% of the time it's got nothing to do with you. They may have had a bad phone call with their lawyer um, somebody in the somebody else in their community may be um, you know um, annoying them or that, that there's a lot of things in a, a prison environment because it's very you know it's a pressure cooker environment and and you know um, it just i think you know regardless of what these guys say to you, you, you you've just got to think well you know he probably didn't really mean that he's just frustrated and I could you know reply back to him with with the same sort of attitude or venom but you know, is that going to help things? No, it's not. And you know, I must admit that that those um, readings of the Stoics, as well as Ryan Holiday, who wrote "The Ego Is the Enemy," and um, I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. And what's the obstacle? Is the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's I must my admit, favorite book.
1: I read a lot of his a lot of his stuff as well, and I kind of like that stuff because it it some of the like I've, if you read through Meditations, some. of some of it, and even the *Subway by Epictetus and Seneca, it's pretty heavy reading because it's, it's, you know, it was written thousands of years ago. So, you know, a lot of the language doesn't, you know, it, you may not understand it completely, whereas somebody like Ryan Holiday has, has kind of taken that and kind of converted it into a more modern um, um, I don't know, a setting, I suppose, and, you know, makes it easier to, to apply um, each day and the one thing that I do um which I'd never done in the past before I actually bought his book the daily stoic journal which is it's a year's worth of reflection I don't do all of the reflection there's it's supposed to be one of the big parts of stoicism is you do a morning um journal and on what you're going to do that day and what you're going to work on and then in the evening you you reflect on how your day's been what you did well what um you need to work on um and you, it's kind of a mind dump at the end of the, end of the day. So um, I find the morning's not good for me because mornings are when I do most of my exercise because obviously with my change in schedule, mornings are about the only time that I get now to do any, any sort of exercise. So I found that just the journaling in, in the evening and it just poses questions to you every day. Um, there's a week's worth of questions and then each is um, it's a topic that um, each week goes through. And it's actually quite interesting. Some of them are quite challenging questions, and I think it just it it constantly challenges your mindset. You know, are you letting you know tiny things that are outside of your control get on top of you, when you know they don't have the power to get on top of you because they're beyond your control. So um, yeah, I found that's been um, probably the, the biggest. Uh, influence on me keeping a positive mindset but also too at work like we catch up regularly um with our manager and um our supervisors there you know reflect on feedback that we get but also just to remind us that you know we we, regardless of what happens we've got to maintain this this positive um attitude towards these guys because you know we're an important part of um what happens every day. And, you know, when you speak to um, other departments and stuff, you know, we we have a big role to play in settling some of these guys down, getting rid of their frustrations, venting a little bit of um, their, um, their anger sometimes, you know, they come out of the place feeling much better that, you know, they're able to go in and do something without somebody telling them what to do all the time. So, you know, I think um, when you can reflect on that, that sort of stuff. Then you know, it's it's a good reminder that you know it is an important important job, and you know um, you can really have a, a massive impact on on somebody's life who may not have ever been given that opportunity before. So um, yeah, it's I, every day I walk in there. It's you know, it's I, I try to make sure that I'm I'm going to be the best part of somebody's. Day. I mean, I think that was a big thing when we were doing PPT as well is that, you know, you could be the best part of somebody's day. You know, whether they have a morning or an afternoon session, you know, the, their day or the day previous to that may have been absolute garbage and you're the, like the the brightest spot in their day. So I try and take that attitude.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of like it's really cool how the stuff that like the – but the little challenges and the things you're dealing with, with the guys in the prison is sort of like what everyone's dealing with outside of prison, but in a different scenario, they're in like a yeah. metaphorical prison that they're in having to do the things that they need to do. Like the, the inmates have to follow the rules all day, every day. And when they come yeah. to you, they get to play around with their wants, which we were just talking about before we went live with the recording needs versus wants kind of a thing. And you guys, like giving them autonomy to choose to do the things that they want to do, which is like super important.
1: Yeah, it's and um, the prison also is um, it it also has a a like a forensic what they call forensic mental health. So there's parts of the prison where there are guys who have um, they're incarcerated, but they um, you know are suffering with mental health problems. So we play a big role in that, even just. Um, Not all of the stuff that we do in the prison is active. There's a lot of passive things that we do, like um, we might play Uno with them or we might play um, gin rummy or uh, backgammon or, you know, things that allow them, again, just to take their mind off um, whatever is, you know, annoying them at the time and, you know, to have a a friendly face that is not a custodial officer, you know, as, as friendly as they are with the custodial officers... Sorry, the custodial officers is the, the politically correct term for prison guards. We're not allowed to call them prison guards anymore. They're uh, custodial officers. So, um, it's probably as yeah, that, it, much as a much kind of as
0: positive a, change. that even sounds
1: good. Yeah, yeah. There's another nickname the uh, prisoners have for them, but we're not we're not supposed to use. that. <laughs> we're not supposed to use the prisoners prisoners um, terms for um, other people in the prison. Um, so, yeah, it's it, we, you get to mar- meet such a variety of people every day and, you know, you, you go into some of these places and um, the people are so happy to see you. Like, it's like, you know, I'm going to get to do something that, that, you know, I have a saying, like you said, that, you know, they choose um, what they want. It's, some of the programs, they don't have a choice because it's like we have to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there has to be a bit of structure and all that sort of stuff to it. But um, yeah, it's, it, 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 you know, it, while it is challenging, you know, there are a lot of days where you come in and you think, you know, you, you just shake the bloke's hand and he's got a smile on his face. It's like, you know, I hope that, you know, that, that makes his day just that little bit better than it, it may have been.
0: And it's kind of, it's interesting, which it makes sense to us, but a lot of people sort of, might have blinkers on and don't say it that your the stuff you guys are doing which is like that community thing where they're coming in and just playing board games and stuff with you all the activities they're doing is like the amount of good energy that brings to someone's day and how much it can snap them out of the funk they're in can make a oh, massive yeah. difference to what have, like these guys are st- sort of stuck in a prison but they're the, the frustration you would feel, like imagine if it was anybody, like if say like you're a parent and you're staying at home with your kid because they're sick, then that's one day and you're stuck in the lounge room with a kid that's maybe got gastro or whatever and how frustrated you get. But when you get out and able to do stuff, how much your mindset can change really quickly. It's like a, I think it's like yeah, it's, a really important thing for everyone that should, should know like how much, just even the simplest of movements if it's something you enjoy doing. This can just change your aspect and your view on what's going on in the day so quickly.
1: Well, the one thing that's um, I think has been from my own personal side of things is w- when I was living the, the the sort of PT style existence. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's. I, in a a way you give so much to other people that sometimes the people who matter most to you miss out. Yeah. And that that the people who, you know, like your partners and your children and that sort of stuff that, you know, that they miss out a little bit because you give so much of yourself every day that sometimes when you come home, you're, you're so mentally drained from just being on all the time, you know, providing support and guidance and, um, you know, and listening as well, like the the you know, looking back to my P T days, I, I always used to joke with people, you know, I'm the cheapest therapist you'll ever you'll ever get. You know.
0: <laughs> so true. But I'm
1: I'm just like I'm just like the person that you can vent to and and I I think what's this has done for me, like this change is that it, it's made me realise how important it is that we spend quality time with the people that matter most to us. And, um, you know, I make much more of an effort now because I can to, you know, whether it's a morning walk or an afternoon walk as a a family, like just that act of, um, you know, getting out and going for a walk, not because, you know, I need to do 10,000 steps or that it's going to burn some calories. It's just just the act of spending time with people who matter to you so that you can have a... In an uninterrupted conversation that's not being impacted on by social media or computers or TV or anything like that, and I think that disconnection from things that um, draw that that siphons so much of our our um, our mental uh, energy every day, I think that that those sort of things have just um, becomes so much more important and so much more part of what I'm doing now so as much as I do miss the um those one-on-one interactions um it it it, it made me reassess what I was what I thought was important and you know um it's so it's it, it, it it's been a, a kind of a transformative experience for myself um as well because I think you, you do get a little bit um, selfish, I think, as a PT, because you you invest so much time in your clients, and I think yeah, being able to step away from that a little bit um, has been good for me. Although, I, through the YMCA, I have um, I've been working the the Western Bulldogs Football Club have a program down here called the Sons of the West and the Daughters of the West, which is a a health and well being program and they run for ten weeks and. Um, working for the YMCA, you, you get free membership uh, to, win, to use any YMCA club um, anywhere. So um, I was going to the local one and um, I got to talk to the staff down there because obviously when they see your, empl- your YMCA employee card, they're interested to in know where you're working and all that sort of stuff. And um, the manager at the, the club is looking for somebody to run one of the group fitness programs for this Sons of the West program. And um, it was actually good to step back in and do some of that well, it's group fitness, um, it reminded me how much I do actually miss that because the work at the prison is so different. So it's nice being able to dip my toe back into that, that side of things again so that I still have a little bit of skin in the game.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I like exactly like how you said was what people sort of, they don't see like as PTs, we don't share it a lot because everyone's social media is the highlight reel. They don't yeah. share like how much say one-on-ones or giving heaps to your clients and stuff, how much it can drain you. So like you said, for me, if I, when I was running the the gym I had, we went for a 12 week period, which we were so busy and I was just burning the a candle at both ends. And then I just collapsed in a heap for two weeks when we broke for Christmas. And I had to just do nothing. I was light in bed to recharge. And even still now, now like after reading things like James Clear's four burners theory and things like that, those tools have helped me to sort of balance better in a sense where yeah. like you,
1: I know you, you, you've talked about the, you know, like I've seen with your CJ Rubik stuff, like with the you know, stress cups and yeah. or buckets or however you, know, you want to you know that, you know, that, those sort of things are, are are really important. To, I mean, we're, we're never going to achieve perfect balance, and I think nah, that's exactly. another thing we've got to be careful that we're not pursuing um, perfection. I was actually thinking about that this morning, like with even talking to some of the men, because the um, the the prison food is not fantastic. It, it's it you know it it provides them sustenance, but you know it's a lot of it's very carb heavy because you know, it's easy to cook a lot of rice and a lot of pasta, and you know, provide people with bread and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of these guys really are unsure as to, you know, you know, they put on a lot of weight when they can, when they come in because you know they're they're inactive, um, they're eating a lot a lot of too much food um, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's um, you try and stress to people that it's you know, it's the stuff that you can do. Well, ninety percent of the time, that matters more than that tr- trying to, you know, get a week or two of absolute perfection and then falling in an absolute heap, yeah, and then just going backwards. You know, those little things that you can do really, really well repeatedly. You know, that compounding effect over time. You know that, and you know that that's the whole approach that we've taken with you know with the habitary stuff, and then you know the habit-based stuff that um, precision nutrition does. Like, you know that it, it's. I, I think that the one other, when I mentioned the transformative stuff, I think that the one thing that that, that I have become with all of this um, exposure that I've had is that I'm less dogmatic about about things. It's you know, there's not one way to do things. You know, that, that whatever the the diet at, at the time is at the moment, it's keto. Like everybody's, yeah, you know, not everybody, but you know, the, the zealots that love the low carb lifestyle and you know, telling everybody that you know keto is the way to go because it's going to cure cancer and it's it's basically you know the answer to you know humanity's woes as far as diet goes. You know, not everybody can do keto. You know, some people can; they have the ability to to remove you know most of the carbohydrate out of their diet. But you know, for a lot of us, that's that's just about impossible. So, you know, while I could take my hat off to the people that can do it, you know, it's not for everybody
0: yeah and it's kind of like that the whole the we need to like the industry sadly has just pushed it that we have to have these labels on everything when in, eventually it all comes down to everyone finding out the individual way forward because
1: yeah it's about investigation like yeah
0: trial and error
1: you, yeah you got to try try a lot of things and i think there was a really interesting um case study came up in one of the pn groups on Facebook about somebody had put something up about it. A, a client wanted to do was working the habits, but then, then they wanted to go on a, a fasting style, like a five-two style diet, and the coach was really struggling with it because you know that that the coach that and we, we've all been victim of that that whole idea where we um, we want to hold the reins really tightly and control everything and steer people in a certain direction and stuff and. You know, I can't remember whether it was, who it was in there. It might have been um, Brian St-Pierre, I think, sort of said that, you know, that's not our job. You know, our job's to support people. If they want to try a different approach, you know, they're adults. They can make the decision they want. We're not the ones who should be sitting there saying yes or no that they shouldn't do it. We should be supporting them. I mean, obviously, we can have an opinion and say, look, you know, um, this may not be the best option, but if you want to try it, I'm willing to, you know, support you and make sure that you're you're well and, you know, that your, your health's not being impacted. You know, we can try it for a period of time and see how it goes. If it doesn't work, then, you know, we can try something else. But I think there's too much of that, no, they shouldn't be doing it because that's not going to work. Well, you know, unless you've got a crystal ball, yeah, you know, I don't think it's your place to say whether it's going to work or not.
0: And, like, it's still – I don't know about you, but sometimes – like with everyone who comes with me an idea, whoever I coach, I'm always like, "Yeah, let's try it. Let's see how we go." And yet sometimes in my head I have these ideas from what's worked for me in the past, and I think, "Yeah, that will work for you." But I have to keep reminding myself that, like how Dan John says, "Everything works until it doesn't, and then you try something else, yep. and then you try something else, and then you eventually find a a way that works for you." And the like what we do with the, the CJ Rubik now where we're really into this principles thing. What are the principles that we know pretty much work for 90% of their people to get fat loss? And that's what I and generally use, I use as a guideline. If the, we if we stick to the principles, we are going to be going pretty good.
1: Yeah. Let's like, I mean, there are some things that you can't deny. Like I watched, um, I think it was, I think it was uh, Ricky Gervais' latest um, comedy thing was called Humanity. And he had an interesting thing that he said at the start when he was talking about social media. And he was saying that the problem is that opinions have become facts. Like, facts are facts. Like, you can't argue with the first law of thermodynamics. You can't argue with the energy balance equation. There are some things that you just can't argue, like... um, against like that they've been proven time and time again with research and and yet there are people out there that think that their opinion because what you were saying about it worked for me it can work for you kind of thing that's an opinion that's anecdotal while anecdotal evidence does have some um it fits um it has its place um there are some facts that you just can't ignore and sometimes with the way diets are promoted and certain exercise programs and stuff it's it's you know, they work because they still follow those principles that you were talking about—the principles yeah. of energy balance. If you if you overconsume and you you don't use that that energy, the first law of thermodynamics—it's like one it, matter just doesn't disappear; it it gets transformed from one thing into another. That excess energy then becomes body fat, or it becomes muscle. Like it, you you just can't deny those those principles. And sometimes, unfortunately, that you know that these certain diets are dressed up in a certain way. And they just gloss over the, the, um, the principles and the facts behind it because they're trying to sell you something when, you know, most diets work because they restrict calories or they restrict um, specific food groups or, you right. know, and I mean, if you're going to restrict carbohydrates, they're, they're a large, they provide a large amount of energy and calories in your diet. So, you know, the energy balance equation says if you take in less than you burn off, then you lose weight yeah it's whether or not you can sustain it for an extended period of time and whether or not it actually starts to impact your health and uh, and the rest of it as to whether or not it's going to be a long term a um, long term benefit for you and whether you're an adherence I don't like to use that word too much because it's I think adherence is almost like you're being whipped into
0: yeah you know it's
1: it, you I know, got the same. You kind thing. Of use like
0: it. When you say how he like how well, good was your adherence and things like that, it just does not come. This sounds like you're a doctor talking down to somebody.
1: Yeah, like that. The, there's some kind of strict rules that have to be have to be followed. I mean, yeah. all of our bodies work differently. I remember, you know, yes, I think I don't know how long ago it was. Now, where they they did some research on twins and they had. One guy who lifted weights, and um, one guy who who did something else and you know, even though they were twins, they had different their bodies responded differently to um, a similar sort of program because we 're all different yeah and um, even if you 're twins where you, you might be very similar, you, you still have slight differences we all we all digest food differently um, you know some of us draw. You know, if we eat fat, we, some of us may, you know, absorb more calories from that fat than somebody else does. It's, you know, it's a classic case of, oh, you can eat whatever he wants and he never gets fat. Well, that's because his digestive system works differently to yours. Our our gut biomes and all that sort of stuff um, are very different. So, you know, it stands to reason that, you know, we, we would we would all benefit differently from, you know, different approaches and, you know, being, being a oh, what is, is? I think it's John Berardi says, um, be a diet agnostic. So yeah. Don't don't be tied to one kind of dietary regime because what are you going to do if it stops working? Which it probably will, eventually. Like you said, like Dan John's quote. Uh, I always, if he's, I always like these. Oh, while well, we don't have the brand out here, I think he called it the Alpo diet. Oh yeah. Which <laughs> you got to eat dog food that, or something. Like
0: spam almost. You just yep. live off spam. <laughs> <laughs> so he I mean, sort of, but am um, now you go. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's another one of his things that he says is the most, you know, if you can go 12 months and you've lost a pound, I think he says you've been, you, you've done really well. Yeah, you know, if you in that twelve month period, if you've lost that pound and, and kept it off, then you've done really really well because most people don't.
0: Yeah, it's like that you know, thing they, they go up and down. And like when the way we're sort of doing our coaching programs with the CJ Rubik is like, yes, like we know you can. You're going to lose weight. Like nearly everyone who puts their mind to it, who wants to lose weight, will lose weight. It's pretty much a given. Losing weight part is actually the easier part. And then yeah. going from there, depending on how you lost it, how are you going to maintain it? And it's sort of the big one I try, like try and push for people now is like, it sounds like I'm coming across negative and things like that. But when they do the, the latest 12-week program or some other kind of extreme diet and training program that happens locally at a gym that I won't mention, that's sort of like... <laughs> It goes, it's very, very extreme. It's very, very hard. It gets amazing results. And my question is always like, that's amazing. Like, it's awesome journey. What have you learned? What are you going to take forward? And can you maintain it? And like, what did you, what did you do at the finish line? Like when, when the 12 weeks was over, what did you do? Oh, I didn't do anything and I ate everything I saw. Is usually the answer I see. And then...
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's a very um, pertinent question to ask. What did you learn? because i mean a lot of these diets all they teach people is how to restrict they don't actually build any skills i always like that that pn uh skill sheet it's like whatever you want to do what skills do you need to uh practice to um be successful you know is it um learning how to um prepare meals beforehand is it um you know whether it's um understanding satiety and and fullness cues Um, you know is it you know what whatever whatever skill ties into whatever goal you've got is the thing that you've you've got to practice because the goal is always going to be the goal it's never going to change well maybe the figure might change you might you might change things a little bit now if the goal is weight loss or fitness there's going to be skills that you'll have to practice on a daily basis to get get you there and they're the things that are going to last not the uh, the 12-week programs the skills that you build and the, the things that you learn about yourself um along the way that um are going to shape how successful you are and you know unfortunately i think um that's where you know obviously you know the majority of people that you speak to um you know their, their main goal is weight loss, and yeah. it's it, it, it's hard, you know, there's not too many people that will come in and they'll say, I just want to be healthier, you know, because to them, health is tied into weight loss. Like we the kind of the whole idea of being thin, um, equates to, to good health and longevity is, um, you know, unfortunately that's, um, what, you know, has been promoted for a very long time. And a lot of these diets and these companies that have been around that, um, that tend to take up most of the the media space. That's you know the, the story that they've told people, and I mean people like ourselves are trying to change that narrative a little bit, so that you know it's it's not so much yes, while you may lose some weight, there's there's other more um, massive benefits to be had from just a, than just a number on the scale.
0: And I guess it's hard too because the industry's inbuilt this thing about finish lines which everyone needs a deadline which is good i like the oh, idea of, of people yeah. having that weight loss deadline i'm going to work for weight loss until here and then the hardest skill to learn would be the i reckon is the maintenance how to go where do you go from your weight loss journey So a lot of people i a lot of women that i coach have gone on a really big weight loss journey and done really well, but stayed in the deficit and stayed in that training zone that ever, whatever got them there, and that causes so many issues down the road instead of bringing back to maintenance because no one really, there is people out there, but no one really knows how to eat after getting lean. A lot of people get lean and then bounce and also- back. A lot of people struggle with how to stay lean for the rest of their life without having to do what got in there in the first place, which is what they think they have to do, is still train hard and still eat really restrictively.
1: And from my experience, I think um, the big fear that a lot of people who've had big weight loss journeys have had is that they're going to rebound. Yeah, you know, I, I'm. I don't want to get fat again. So it it's um, it's it's a difficult. It's a difficult one because, um, you know, like you said, staying in that extreme um, end of training, extreme dieting, and like you said, we all know um, what that does to to people's bodies and their hormones and their metabolisms and all that sort of stuff. That you know, dieting is not um, you know, our bodies weren't designed for diets. Like this is an artificial construct that we've imposed on our bodies. This whole um, diet approach so um and i guess your body's all about preservation it wants to survive so it'll do whatever it has to so that it can survive and if that means like you said when you you were working really really hard how at christmas you just collapsed for two weeks yeah you know that was your body's way of telling you that that's the only way i'm going to survive because if i continue at this rate something bad is going to happen so you know you, you you yeah, our bodies are much smarter than we give them credit for. And a lot of these diets are trying to outsmart a body that is much smarter than the diet will ever be because, um, well, I mean, a lot of the diets have a singular approach and we're such a complicated system of cells and all that sort of stuff that, you know, a singular approach just um, it'll fall short eventually because there's just so many other things that at play that, um, that you know, that, that, that kind of... Singular or mono approach to, to everything. Um, why it loses its its effectiveness over time? Because our bodies adapt. You know, anything that you do that, that creates an adaptive response. Sometimes it's positive, and unfortunately, for a lot of the people that we see, that adaptation is negative.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of the way these systems or these diet systems are set up. Like they're really popular famous ones that we see on the internet like they put you in these restrictive states from or just in intense states of training and nutrition that your body will set itself up to make you rebound which is out of almost out of your control where in the sense it will make you feel more hunger and make you feel more cravings and drop your energy to make you want to go out and find whatever it is that's not nailed down and eat it and sort of like what you were talking about before we got on the call about the hungry brain and things like that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like like I said, food becomes more um, appealing. You know, even just things like the color of food becomes more vibrant. Like it's not even the smell or the or that sort of stuff. It just looks more appealing to you because your body wants you to eat it. Um, you know, it's about making you you survive. And like I said, that you know that unfortunately that these diets um, are working against, you know, evolution. So, um, yeah, like I,
0: it's kind of like what Dan John says, like reasonableness and how he always says it. I just steal it because it's such a good way of saying it. The more reasonable your approach, the, and the longer you take to get the goal, unfortunately, which is pisses a lot of people off, but the longer you take to get the goal, sometimes the longer you keep the goal. Yeah, you just learnt a more sustainable way to get it.
1: Yeah, look, and um, and then you know, as you get older, it, that reasonableness has to become even more of a priority for you because you don't have the benefit of um, of this rich hormonal environment anymore. You know, um, as as men as we get older, you know, you pass. 30 and, you know, without intervention, you your testosterone starts to drop, which, which impacts on, um, so many other areas of your life. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, by the time you're 70, you've, you, you've lost, I think about 40% of your muscle mass. If you've done nothing about it, I mean, that's, that's a huge, And yeah. you know, it to lose 40% of, um, the, the, the main system in your body that helps you move around, I mean, that's that, no wonder we've end, ended up with, you know, people that are so frail and um, and um, you know why we have to have so many interventions for, for people um, as they age because you know what research is starting to find out now is that you know as we age we we, we probably need more of of the things that um, we thought were healthy for us when we were younger. know things like protein yeah um becomes more crucial as you age as your ability to synthesize protein and actually use it is becomes even more challenged so you know that that it becomes even more um of of a an important part of your life to to make sure that you're you know you're aging you know in a way where you're still able to carry on on your life rather than you know ending up you know sitting most of the day or you know having to rely on you know mobility aids and all that sort of stuff so you know i think you know we, we as the population ages it's you know it's going to put more and more stress on the on the health system and the hospitals and all that sort of stuff so you know anything we we can do to try and reverse that that trend would be um would be massive i think but, you know, that has to start at the top as it's well, true. I guess.
0: Well, speaking of which, so let's talk about your routine now, about your physical health. Yep. So what, what are you doing right so, now?
1: So for me, as I mentioned before, um, with that change of, of lifestyle where um, I'm now working nine to five sort of hours, um, I can only train in the mornings. Um afternoons once I pick my son up from school and then it's now you've got all the stuff that you've got to do in the afternoon for me. It's um a big part of it also too is is planning, like um knowing what days I'm going to I'm going to train. So I'll train Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um I recently did a four week boot camp which I've never really done before, but um, One, I wanted to actually speak to people when I was training because I don't know about yourself, Chris, but I train on my own mostly because I haven't been able to find a training partner that would want to put up with the way that I train because, you know, the emphasis is mostly on strength training and not interested in banging away on a treadmill or or anything like that. So it becomes a bit of a solitary life when, you know, you've got a certain focus on the way that you train. Um, So, you know, I did a boot camp. Um, which is just about to finish. It was actually good to interact with people for a change rather than just being stuck in your headphones and going through the motions. So I think I'm going to look at doing more of that with my training now where I'm actually going to spend one session in a group fitness class so I actually get to interact and, and do stuff with, with other people rather than just being a lone trainer all the time. So you know, at the moment I'm doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, mostly an emphasis on compound movement, squatting, deadlifting, um, all the big, bang, the stuff that gives you the most bang for your buck. A um, little bit of cardio, mostly on the rower, because I find that that's the least impactful kind of cardio that I can do. Now I've never been a runner, and I'm not interested in trying to condition my body to running now because um, I just it just doesn't interest me. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I take my hat off to people who can run marathons and stuff, but that sort of torture on my body, I think um, I could I could do without. But you know, that's a that's a discussion for another time. I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, like three days three days a week, I spend probably about an hour in the gym. So I'm yeah, I, cool. I get up at about quarter to six quarter to six in the morning. Um, uh, I think the other thing that's uh, that is most important is that you have your gear ready to go. So when you get up in the morning, you can just put all your, your stuff on. There's nothing worse than fumbling around in the dark waking up your partner or or anybody else in the house because you can't find your keys or um, you, know, you can't like find that your water um, bottle
0: decision yeah. fatigue thing the less decisions you have yeah. to make before you get in the car and get to where you want to go the better
1: yeah it's it's why i guess you know nowadays when you go into a supermarket why people are so confused about what kind of food they should be eating because there's just too much to choose from yeah <laughs> you know Even there, anything, there's anything so many products like- telling
0: Netflix is making people get anxious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like how many, how many too much choice now? Yeah. But um, yeah. So having my bag ready with my water bottle, my towel, keys, um, shoes, what, whatever else I need in the morning. So when I get up, I can go to whatever part of the like in the lounge room and, you know, I can turn the light on. I'm not annoying anybody else. I'm making as little noise as possible as well. Because we live in an old house, a creaky old floorboards and stuff. So the more moving I'm doing around, it's like the deck of a bloody ship. Sometimes when you walk around, it's, it creaks and it groans, this old old house. So the less of that that I can do, you know, I'm not impacting on, on others as much. Um, and like you said too, less decisions I have to make. All I've got to do is get up, get dressed, get out of the house and drive to the gym. So, and that comes also too with, you know, things like lunch preparation and stuff like that. You know, having all that stuff done the night before, um, you know, while it may be a laborious task, once it's out of the way, then you can sit down and do whatever you whatever you want to do. Whether it's watch Netflix or, you know, heaven forbid, talk to your partner for for more than five minutes. <laughs> um, and you know, just just to take that, that you know, just use time to create time. It yeah, I it makes sound I like it. Like
0: that. That's really good. You know,
1: You know, we've all got the same amount of time in in the day. Um, And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm I'm time poor and all this sort of stuff. Well, maybe you're just not making the most of the time that you've got because, you know, you're relying on what you can remember in your mind to do at the time rather than having... Again, it comes down to those habits and those skills. Like, um, And, you know, at least then you can set up your schedule where everything's done. You've had your dinner, you know, done all that sort of stuff. You can sit down then... You know, it's going to be much easier to um, create a sleep, a good quality sleep pattern, which I found has been massive for me because, you know, that PT uh, lifestyle, it, it's not conducive to um, having a normal life because I found the one thing that I did find, and it was a joke amongst our friends, was I couldn't go to the movies. Like, it yeah. wouldn't matter which movie. Yeah. what the greatest movie ever made. But halfway through the movie, I was asleep. Yep. Because... I was just so tired from being up at 4.30 in the morning to be at at work for those, those early sessions that, you know, if I wanted to get eight hours sleep in, you know, I had to be in bed so early that, you know, it's almost antisocial. It was another element of of my life that meant that I, you know, I I wasn't interacting with people the way that I shouldn't. If I was up, um, I was like a bloody zombie, you know, and the conversations you were engaged in weren't very um, um you know meaningful because you you, you were tired, and you know, there's nothing worse than going out for dinner with your partner and in the middle of the dinner, you're sitting there yawning your bloody head off, and oh yeah, you no, know, I think, <laughs> and you know this i mean look there there were sacrifices to me, maybe we all make sacrifices with the work that we do, and that was one of the sacrifices that you made that you know, unless you were hanging out with other PTs, other normal people, like you know, for me, what, what, if I got past ten o'clock, it was like a record. That was another joke we used to have. You know, your friends would say, oh, what the hell are you still doing up at ten o'clock?" And you're still, you're still um, talking. Like, <laughs> so, you know, having that, that later start and um, you know just being able to go to uh, bed and and have this regular sleep pattern now, I think, has been massive. Um, as well, but again, it's you know being able to turn the phone off, put the iPad away, you know, so you're not getting that that stimulation um, late at night, and then trying to trying to go to sleep. So um, yeah, there's there's been and all of this stuff hasn't happened at once. It's it's been it's you know it was very challenging not to not to be sitting in bed at ten thirty at night, you know, scrolling through Facebook or through emails. So you know. It, it's just been a work in progress, you know? and you know, so yeah, that's pretty much my schedule. Three days, and then those other two days in the morning is when I'll um I'll go for a walk with my wife early in the in the morning. Yeah, cool. You know, it, and then weekends are a big thing um, for us, like because I work on Sundays, that's shortened our weekend. So you know we've got to make the most of that that one Saturday that we've got. But as you as you'll probably find out as, as, um, is it, it's Theo, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. You know, as he gets older and he starts to get, um, pastimes and, you know, sports and whatever other things, you know, they eat into the the time that you have. So it's, it's just finding that, that balance and, you know, just working on it. Um, and yeah, so, um, it's, it's, I guess, Knowing that you know, trying not to, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just trying to make it work a little bit better, I think. So, um, and like, I find like, for me, three, three days a week is enough. If I if I yeah. if I try to if I try to muscle in an extra session, just don't get enough recovery. And I think that's the other thing that I've had to embrace as I've got older, is you know, it's about the quality, not the quantity. You know, when I was 25, yes. I could belt, belt the crap out of myself. Like I remember some of the training programs I was doing. where I was squatting heavy three times a week, and you know I was strong as an ox, but I was, I was beat up. You know, you always had, you know, shoulder niggles or knee niggles or back niggles or something was always always um, hurting. And now it's it's like you know three times a week's good. And if I if I don't feel like you know going one day and I might just go for a walk. He said, that's fine. Like that's the other thing I think I've learned to accept as well is that, you know, I might do three sessions one week and only two the next. It is what it is. Yeah. This is the long, this is the longer game and exactly. you'll You'll have weeks where you might only, might only get one session in because of public holidays or, you know, school holidays or whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, you just make the most of the time that you have and know that, you know, if you don't get to the gym, even going for a walk, you know, it's going to do wonders for your mental health and without your mental health, you're not going to train physically for too long. So, you know, that it's all part of the puzzle.
0: And it's sort of like you said, it's, it's all part of the puzzle, which you keep trying different things and things will change over time. For like, I remember just before Theo came, I was able to train heaps and I trained heaps leading up to that big Spartan and, and then – did the Spartan race and two days later Theo was born. And then since then being able to get the same amount of training load has been impossible. And that's nearly two years ago now. And the thing that I neglected early on in the first year of him being born, especially was that walk. Like you said, when I can't do the training the first year, I just got the strops and just sort of chill at home with him. Instead, when I started realizing and started relooking looking at everything I was doing and sort of like what are the principles? What are the things that I know that make me happy since like when I gave up drinking, the things that I knew that made me feel better about myself when I stopped drinking and things like that. And then going back to the basic basics and then walking was like the, the default. If I was a red light day, if I went out for the walk, I knew everything would be all right after that mentally for myself. Cause I'm even from when I was talking to my parents, if I don't move, I'm a shit person to be around. Like people can ask Kat, people can ask Theo once he's able to talk. I'm just a shitty person. I just like I stir people and I get crabby. But if I get that walk in every day, well they like, even that's just an hour, or thirty minute walk in every day just makes the biggest difference. And I reckon it be this it's the same for everybody. And like you said, where you like how you're figuring things out moving forward going into um our lives as we get older, is like Sort of, what's the minimal effective dose we can do to get what we want, so we can spend our time in other avenues which are more important to us as we get older, no, I I think think that's, like our family
1: that's Yeah, and that's that minimal effective dose is going to be different for everybody, and it's not something that you know. It's taken me a long time to um, to discover what that is, and you know what, I've had to I've had to injure my body to find out what. Minimal effective dose actually is, and I think sometimes, as unfortunate as it is, you got to stick your hand in the fire and get burnt, find out that it's hot. You know, we have to. I think sometimes that learning curve comes from doing stupid things. Yep. Like I unfortunately
0: doing stupid stuff through training and just like everyone does through their life, and the things you learn from the mistakes is the biggest thing. And people are sort of scared of that failure it's actually, that's the yeah, stuff that like, you get so much better at.
1: Well, it's, that's when you learn. Yeah. You don't learn from success. You know, I mean, you, you read any any successful businessman's autobiography or, or biography or anything, and it's like the, the biggest learning um, moments came from failure. Sorry, you know, Dad, I'm just going to pause it oh. for
0: a sec. I've got to go get the little man. He's just yep. waking up.
1: Yeah. Cool. I'll be two secs. Cool, man.
0: What were we talking about?
1: <laughs> I think just you know, um, you know, just the learning from your mistakes. You know, yeah. I think like, and like you said earlier, that you know, most people's social media is just a highlight reel of all the great stuff, and you know, the the, the mistakes and the and the, the the bad things, you know, are, are such a, a smaller part because you know. We all have this persona that we project, and we want to make sure that, you know, I guess, for a lot of us, is that the persona that we project is one that is of somebody who's got their shit together and they know what they're doing and everything's, you know, fantastic. And you know that it's it's nowhere near as bad. As, I mean, it's just yeah. You know, I think I think um, that's where. I guess social media sometimes can can be a bit of a minefield, I think, because we're we're not always seeing the true um, side of people. I mean, you only have to look on Instagram to see that, you know, if you've got a, a certain asset that you can, you know, show at different angles on there, then a lot of people enjoy that, you know. Yeah. A lot of people get quite famous and probably make a living from it know get on them if that's if if you can do that and you can leverage that but you know most of us are not aren't that lucky so um yeah the big thing for me was like like we
0: talked about this maybe last year or something like the people we have followed who talk about who are mentors for online coaches or coaches in general and things like that and we were following heaps early on and then we started culling them all because All you saw was their highlight reels and all I guess we compared ourselves to was them in their highlight reel when they probably had heaps of other shit going on and probably not even as successful as it turns out. Some of them weren't as what they were making out to be. But the fact that we saw the highlight reel all the time was sort of making us feel like we weren't doing enough or weren't good enough ourselves. So we called it and I reckon a lot of people like a lot of the ladies I coach um follow a lot of certain um fitness professionals on instagram if you could say that with showing massive amounts of highlight reels and comparing themselves to these people all the time when it's just it's not real life and it's not it's not a good comparison to have either just detrimental in the long run
1: yeah, I, was, I always loved that. Uh, I'm not a big one for posting motivational quotes, but that comparison is the thief of joy. Like, yeah, you know, if, if you're always doing that, if you do have a win, whatever the tiny win it is, and you're comparing yourself to somebody else who goes, oh, I did this and that, and then you look at your win and it somehow doesn't match up. It's like that can be the most, um, you know, devastating thing because it's like I thought I did really well, but um, somebody's done so much better. Like, yeah. or, you know, it, it, their win... So, you know, so much bigger or something. When you know, in the context of your life and where where you've been and where you started from and where you are now, I mean, it's it's probably much bigger than you than you think. But you know, when when we're using a measuring stick based on somebody else's um, life and achievements, we're never going to stack up. No, that exactly. You're like me comparing myself to. I don't know, Stephen Hawking, even though he's passed away now, like, I mean, his mind was was amazing, but, you know, we've all done things that have, um, are pretty amazing as, as human beings. While it may not be, you know, pondering what the what the universe is about, but we've all got um, parts of our life that, you know, we've done pretty amazing um, things that nobody will ever know about. And I think now too, the unfortunate thing about social media is is that, you know, that sort of stuff is shown to us all the time. It's force-fed to us constantly. Yep. Whereas previous to social media, we would never have known about any of this sort of stuff. The only time you would see amazing achievements would be on the Olympics or, you know, some sporting event or, you know, things like that which are in small, very small doses and we're not being constantly exposed to it. So, um, yeah, I think the – and that's the, that's the thing that, you know, as a parent you you know is a is a concern for you as well is that you know that that unfettered sort of uh, stream of of information that comes that most of it is is not of any use to us at all if anything it's probably having a worse effect than a than a positive like you know out of all of the you know if you looked at facebook out of all of the the articles that you might save or things that you come back to you know, compared to the amount of stuff that that, that you scroll through, I mean, it's a, it's a minuscule amount. So, you know, if you're using Facebook as, as as a, I don't know, maybe a motivational tool or something that you compare things to, you know, this it, it's not going to be a, probably the most positive experience for you. And it's dangerous.
0: Like, as you would know, as a parent too, like, My funnel, like my people I talk to, my funnel or scope or whatever, is like parents and it happens to everybody but we get sucked in because it's so easy and it's built in such a way that it's meant to suck you in. And a a common thing I get back from parents who I coach is like Facebook's my time to switch off or Facebook's my no non-thinking time, my no brain time, which is – which I can totally get as a parent because you need that time to switch your brain off and things like that. But the detrimental side of social, like this social media stuff is just huge. Like the fact that you can get stuck in there and the way it's built is that it's meant to keep you in there for an hour or more without you even realizing you're in there for that long is one thing in itself. But the stuff that you see and how it affects you, like, yeah. When we used to watch news to get the news and used to read the paper to find out what was going on around the world, it's now in your face all the time. It's just, but also too I that think the way that up.
1: the news but also to the way the news is presented now is is that it, it's almost it's like the, the news is doing the thinking for you. They're not presenting the news to you. They're presenting an agenda or an angle and. Whereas before like the news was presented and you would make your own mind up. Whereas now there's a lot of opinion presented as facts. Like I was mentioned before that, you know, just because somebody has got um, an idea and it's, it's, you see it a lot, you know, especially with social media, is who can shout the loudest Yeah,
0: know, is the exactly.
1: person that is looked to as, as the leader when, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are that are giving out health advice that shouldn't be, um they shouldn't be doing that but facebook and and twitter and, and and platforms like they give people a you know a platform to stand on and yell their their opinion out when all it is is an opinion but if you can um i guess um how would you say it? You, you can get people emotional about a topic enough then they'll start to start to believe what your opinion you start to think that your opinion becomes fact when the facts are uh, completely different so and I mean we we, some of the groups I follow in in Facebook you see it um, all the time but I think the best biggest thing I I did on Facebook was I just I had a big cull of a lot of stuff in there because a lot of it was just not it was not adding any value at all yeah it was doing was annoying me and you know and I think that's what you mentioned when we were talking about before with that whole stoic stuff is that you know the only control you have is what's going on inside your mind and the way that you project yourself the way that you respond to people your attitude your thoughts your actions you know that they, they should be your biggest um, determinant of, of what you're doing not what some celebrity or or somebody on Facebook is, is saying so you know I think that's for me, like going back to those those kind of stoic principles um, and, again, that, that principle thing comes up. It's not a rule. It's a principle that you yeah. can apply any way that you like. And speaking and, of
0: that, that's yeah. what I was going to go with next. Like, So if you had to give principles on, like we use the big three, movement, nutrition, or energize, what would your principles yeah. be, like your elevator pitch to someone to say, these are the principles on what we know is to help you get lean and stay lean. What would you, what What are your principles?
1: Oh, I think whatever you're going, yeah, it, it's, I think for me just, you know, it, I think it was um, coach Stevo when I first came across um, his stuff and it was, he had a, a questionnaire thing and it was like, you know, it was things that you're willing to give up, and yeah. things that you weren't willing to give up, you know, um, and things that you feel that you're at least 90% confident that you can repeat for at least the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, I think those should form the basis of um, of whatever you're doing. And, you know, for some people, they, they may not have an idea, which is why they follow, um, you know, some of these diets and stuff because people are just confused. They don't know. So they think, well, if I follow this, then that's going to give me the results that I want. Um, yeah, I, th- I think elevated pitches have never been something that I've been that 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 good at. But
0: pretty, especially, yeah, when, I think,
1: when there's like lots of concerts,
0: But the way you just said it, then I reckon pretty much nailed it exactly. Like the and Dan John talks about it in his book Intervention. Like, what is the advantage of getting this goal? What is the disadvantage of giving this goal? And what is
1: the advantage yeah, of not will- getting what, the goal? What, and things like that. Yeah. So, what are you willing? Uh, because there's going to be uh, things that you are willing to give up and then there are going to be non-negotiables and the non-negotiables are obviously going to be things, probably things like time with your family, um, you know, uh, sleep time, you know, those sort of things. But then there are always going to be negotiables, things that you are willing to, um, to give up and, that you know, you, you, you could replace with, with, you know, some exercise or, you know, what, whatever, what, whatever it is. So I think once you identify what your negotiables and your non-negotiables are, that gives you a bit of a clearer picture of or one where your starting point is. And, you know, and then as you go along, you can, you know, that, you know, if you give yourself a two-week, window, we then you can, you know, reevaluate once you get to there. You know, is this too difficult? Well, if it is too difficult, then we... We dial it back a notch. I think that's the other thing too with a lot of these diets is, you know, you got to dial it up to 10 right from the word go. Like there's no lead in. Yeah. Or if there is a lead in that's very, very short, you know, yeah, I, I know. Um, there's no intensity yakking, no,
0: the nozzle. There's always, yeah, always like, 10. Yeah. There's never a yeah. two or three or six. Everyone, I, no one has the, the ability to do a 10 all the time. I don't know anyone is able nah. to do that.
1: Nah. I mean, like you said, when you were working. All those long hours in your gym—you can—that's—that's that's, that's unsustainable, you know. And I—I I know I remember. I think when the Atkins diet uh, first came out, there was I think a two or a three-week period where they allowed you to adjust like the way that I can't—I can't remember. I think Atkins was a was it a low-carb diet? I think it yeah, was, and it so allowed Atkins you had time the, to.
0: I think I've got the book on the shelf. Actually, it's a book from my mum had, but there's it's like a two-week or three-week leading to get used to the
1: higher fat content yeah so you would you, you would start to start to remove the yeah. carbs out and then get used to eating more fat which i guess makes some kind of kind of sense but then i felt for the people who couldn't you know what if you what if you didn't um deal so well with that you know yeah. for whatever reason whether in your digestive system You know, some people, the worst thing they can do is start, you know, messing around with their macro ratios because it just creates all kinds of bloody havoc. Yeah, exactly.
0: um, And like that whole, the template, everything like temper template program, template, um, nutrition, all those kinds of things. Like, That's why I like Dan John's traffic light system so much is that it makes so much sense. There's days we're going to wake up a red light. There's days we're going to wake up a yellow light. And there's very, very, very rare days we'll wake up and we're green. And sort of like I've been using this new app as a test to sort of see what's been going on from Joel Jemison and his Morpheus app. And without a doubt, just because being a dad to Theo and the stay at home dad, I'll get up to him if he wakes up at night and he's not the best sleeper. I've just looked at it before. I've been going for three weeks and I've had the first day I had a green light and I haven't had a, I haven't had a green light since then. I've had one red light and the rest has all been yellow. And like waving up and down inside the yellow light zone, is just sort of, I don't think people sort of, Get that we need to be flexible in our approach like you said with your training how some days might be one train session some weeks might be three the more flexible you are and the more you know you, how to be flexible the more chance you're going to have success long term and keep it forever whatever results you do get if it's just a I mean, template and do this you just burn out eventually
1: i'm very careful to not say that because I train three days a week that you should train three days a week. Some people can get two days a week, maybe enough yeah. for them. I think the other reason I train three days a week is because I'm one of those weirdos that likes the gym. Like, yeah, exactly. I like going it's to the personal gym. I like, preference. I like the environment. You know, some people absolutely hate it. Like, I was talking to a, a, a woman in the boot camp group, and she says, Oh, I always see in there lifting weights and stuff. You know, and I didn't go one day, and she said, Oh, we, didn't, we missed seeing you in the gym in the morning. And I said, Oh, look, I'm only doing these two boot camp sessions a week because I'm not used to this kind of training. It's very high intensity, um, short rest periods. Um, you know, I'm used to training with longer rest periods and, and that sort of stuff. And I said, I it would be silly for me to continue my other training while I'm doing this because I'm um, Robin Peter to pay Paul. So yeah, exactly. Um, I just, I'd recognize that, you know, for this four week period that things are going to change a little bit. You know, it was good to do something different and test myself a little bit and know how much I hate certain forms of exercise, but you know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to do stuff to find out what you, what you don't like and what you do like. And that's the other thing too, is I think, um, there's the shades of gray with finding things out, like I always like the idea that while you may not like it, it may have the potential for to become likable down the track. You know, if for me, running is just something that I don't, don't really like, but you know, uh, when I first started rowing, I hated it, but it, it, it wasn't as detestable as running to me. So it became something that I didn't mind doing. And I think sometimes you've got to do something for long enough to find out whether it has potential for something that you think, yeah, this is not so bad. I reckon I could do this once or twice a week. Yeah. Because if you do it and you absolutely like you dread getting up in the morning to do it, then it's not going to last. It's got no sustainability. So I think sometimes too, we, we've got to be, we've got to give it a little bit of time that you can't be just like, Oh no, this is, this is, I hate this. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Whereas, if you're not hating it, it might be tough the first couple of times that you do it. But you're you're willing to stick it out, then I think that's got some value to it as well. But like I said, I'm always very careful that um, it's taken me. You know, I first stepped into the gym. I remember I, I my first gym membership was in 1988, and. You know i didn 't know what the hell I was doing back then. I just basically did what every other um, Neanderthal in the gym was doing at the time I had no idea what i was I was doing, and somehow I managed to eat enough and and lift enough and didn 't get injured and managed to put on you know um, a fair bit of a fair bit of muscle on a fairly skinny frame. but you know I think that was more luck than than good management, but you know I stuck at it and you know I learned a lot along the way, and you know thankfully i didn't get um injured i didn't play a lot of contact sports so you know i I didn't have that um that detail to deal with either so you know from that side of things i've I've got to this point where i've you know um i've maintained a steady a steady weight for you know probably at least 15 years i've been around the weight that i am now i'm a bit heavier than um i normally am but that was intentional i do those things every now and then play you know they're almost like games it's like know, can I get to this to this weight? Maintain my strength, uh, not feel like I'm I'm going to injure myself. All that sort of stuff. Because I think sometimes you just need to do those things just to mix things up a little bit. And also, it reinforces the principles that you're um, that you're advising people to use. Like if you don't believe yeah. in those principles yourself, and that they don't work, then how could you sell it then? To, to somebody or be a coach in that. So, I know that you know I increase my protein intake and increase my energy intake overall, and and you know lift heavier weights and all that sort of stuff. That I'll I'll get a corresponding um, effect. You know, I get stronger. I get a little bit a little bit heavier. So, yeah, you know, I think you know when you know what you're doing, especially with certain things, um, you know, it's okay to experiment to to a point, but then you know that you know, that if you are going to train with heavier weights, that creates a greater stress on the body as well. And, you know, you may need a little bit more recovery, you know, may need to make sure that you're getting to bed earlier, you know, getting extra sleep or making sure that you're, you know, doing a little bit of foam rolling or stretching or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think, I know, I think as trainers, we, we like to experiment on ourselves a fair bit, as well because you know i think that just makes us better coaches as well yeah it does so it's like if it doesn't work on us there's no point
0: trying to teach it to anybody else because we haven't we don't know how it works so it's that's the kind of thing but really like how you said like basically how it's doing that if you're nine percent confident you can do it then it's a good thing to do and if you're excited to do it like the other one I like to hear is like, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no for now. So when you wake up yep. in the morning, if something's not giving you a hell yeah, I'm keen to do it, then eventually over time, if it's still a hell no, a hell no, and you're doing it anyway, you're just going to end up hating the thing. And then yep. I really like what you said too about the, like every now and then challenge yourself with something and then go back yep. into your, the well, Dan John calls it that, um, Park bench workouts and the yellow—I call them the yellow zone workouts—where yeah, you just keep what is showing it, the bus, up. The bus stop, the bus
1: stop workouts, isn't it? Or yeah, is yeah that so what he Park bench but is
0: the the, the one as you do. You show up every day, do the work, leave room in the tank to come back and do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And then the bus bench is the one where you go hard. It's on a timetable. You're on a time limit. You're catching the bus to get somewhere. So you're doing the program to bust your ass to get a really good result. And Most, 90% of the time you do that yellow zone stuff, the park bench, and then that little bit every now and then throughout the year, he says there's like two, four-week periods roughly in a year, he reckons, for most people where they can do the bus bench workout, where they can really put in and challenge themselves to some degree.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, unfortunately, I think um, some programs like CrossFit, I've stopped bashing CrossFit. I used to, I was a bit of a you know, CrossFit basher because of what they did and, you know, get up, get up on your bloody pulpit and preach about how crap it is and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it, unfortunately, I think it's created this idea that every workout has to be a, a, a personal best or that every workout has to be some kind of an um, endurable event like that, you know, by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, you know, you know, sweats, just fat crying, you know, that, that kind of, you know, fitspo type, um, approach to, to exercise where it's like, you know, if you don't feel like lifting weights, you go in there and just ride a bike for 15 or 20 minutes, you walk out of there feeling better than you walked in, then, you know, it's, it's served its purpose.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like,
1: unless you're competing as an elite athlete or something like that, or, or, you know, you have a specific, you know, performance goal in mind, um, there's no point. You know, belting the the suitcase out of yourself every time you go into the gym just because you feel that you you have to. So, um, yeah, that's I, I think. But you know, that sort of wisdom comes with age as well. I think
0: it's true. And I like I'm gonna unfortunately I'll have to leave it there to get the little man some. Oh fun. no, no, mate.
1: I'll just, but yeah, yeah. I reckon that that
0: up. last point is really good in the sense like. At the moment, unfortunately, a lot of things that are really popular are those bash and crash type workouts. There is good gyms out there that look after people, but generally, there's people that are just getting beat up. And like for most, Dan, John, Pat Flynn, these guys all talk about the same thing. Just go for a walk. For most people, going for a walk and learning how to eat where you can get lean while just doing the walking will set you up for the rest of your life. Cause you just figured out how you figured out the secret, how to be lean and do the minimal amount of work. So you don't have to destroy I, yourself in the gym to do it.
1: I, I, the group session I did the other night with 20 guys who were all my age and older, most of them carrying extra body fat. Probably, you know, there's a few skinny guys there, but you know, probably at least 70% of them were, you know, well above, um, their body weight was well above where they needed to be. You know, Um, they were supposedly an advanced group. And after the first session, I knew they weren't advanced. But, I mean, the the way that I set up the workout is you've got three options here. Guys, you choose the option which is most suitable for you. You do have an an option to to go a little bit harder if you want. But, you know, this is not about um, meeting the person next to you. This is just about you being able to work with what you feel that you can do. Because I think a lot of workouts just don't give you any leeway at all. Like they're, they're, they're very they're very strict um, and you know they're just they're not tailored to to people's abilities and you know that's I, I think almost um, an, an indictment on the whole you know, industry really the way that it approaches a lot of things is that it doesn't have a personalized element to it it has this one size fits all and that's just, it's not going to work.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. And it's when the, yeah, <laughs> Even in the background. it's um, <laughs> just throwing stuff around the office. That's sort of like Uh-oh. the, yeah, exactly. Like you said The there's like trying to do this one size fits all, which is, it just doesn't work. <laughs> and I really like, like leaving it on this note, what you said in it was like, during the talk was the quality over quantity. Like, if the so it's sort of the same as like as a real quick note with the the ten thousand step rule, people think they get ten thousand steps. I'll oh, shoot, shoot for twenty thousand because that's going to be ten thousand better. But it's like it starts becoming the quantity thing where it becomes too much where yeah. where you just want the quality and quality of life is the important thing if the like Dan John talks about is the goal improving everything else. If it's improving everything else, it's something you'll probably do long term. If it's taking away from other things, like for a lot of people who train super hard, they don't do anything else in the day. Everything else disappears and they stop doing their daily activities and it's just training and sitting. So I guess we could probably leave it on that note. Like it's sort of whatever it is you're doing and trying to do or bring into your life. You want to improve everything else. Like you, changing from being a PT and going to work at the um, the prison. It's kind of the same thing. It's improved your life and it's made everything else better. Like the way you're going to coach people in the future and things like that. So, you know, it's something that. Yeah,
1: and, is I can, I can, and I'm happy that, you know, going forward that I'm going to be able to bring a lot of the skills that I've got um, to bear with um, a lot of the people in there. So while it's, it's more been a step sideways rather than a, than a step, back so yeah um, definitely as I've been
0: listening to you it's definitely I guess the step forward the stuff you learn is huge it's awesome
1: yeah uh, look man to you you know while I'm not walking a mile in some of these guys shoes like when you talk to them you're like like yeah it's it's sobering when you walk out of there sometimes and think yeah, there's some days where I think my life is is pretty bad and then you know you talk to some of these guys and you think my, my life is is hundred times better than theirs has ever been. So, you know, I think it's, 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 it's been a very sobering experience so far for me to, to know how much I've got. And, you know, as I said before, how much I was missing out on when I was being a little bit more selfish. Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's kind of, that's really cool. So let's just, let's finish up. What, what's a big takeaway? Yeah, cool. or what's a question that you wish people would ask you about health and fitness? That's a good one. What do you wish people um, would ask you ask to
1: like an answer from you? For? Uh, look, that's, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I, I think the one, I, the, the one I get um, asked most is, do I have to give up carbs? It, it's, I think it's the one question that maybe not so much wish that people would ask me, but it's the one I get asked most. Is do I have to give up carbs? Yeah. It's like no. If you want to give up carbs, give up carbs. Carbs, but you know, know that there's going to be, a, um, you know, are you can you give up carbs? Are you willing to give up carbs? Like, um, but yeah, it's it, it's probably the question I get asked. Um, the one I've been asked most since I've been in the um, in the prison. these guys coming up and asking me whether I have to give up carbs, and it's like no, you just have to. Just change the way that you're you're using carbs. You know, yeah,
0: that's a really good way of saying it. I
1: like that. They don't have to be the cornerstone of your of your diet. They're not. You know, the, just because you know um, you need energy, it doesn't doesn't mean that um, you need um, lots and lots and lots of them. But you know. Um, Yeah, that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but... um, No,
0: that's really good. And I like how you said, like, it's just changed the way you use carbs, which is, yeah, it's like how we do in our coaching program. It's not that we are low carb. We are matching carbs to your movement. So when you're having it, you're
1: using it. And... Yeah, the the one thing that I I do, the one thing that... that One little point that I try and um, stress to people is is that one little thing you can do is on the days when you're going to exercise you can eat, eat, eat a little bit more carbohydrate closer to when you exercise or after you exercise outside yeah. of that time, you don't need anywhere when you near as many carbs as you think you do.
0: No, it's it. And like, that's the biggest thing is like when like getting people understands, like you don't have to stop eating carbs. It's just that we eat too much. It's the way society's yeah. built around us at the moment. And we don't need to eat as much as that. And once you figure that part out, the rest of it becomes really easy. Oh, yeah, simple comes really simple. Easy is the wrong word. Comes well, yeah, I
1: think yeah, <laughs> simple, yeah becomes simpler. Nothing, no, nothing's, nothing's ever easy, but you know, when you can make it simpler, I think that's 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 a good thing. But yeah, but I'll, it's been fantastic talking to you. Hopefully, I'm having. Um, you know, I hope people can get some some usable. You know. You know Tips out of what we what we spoke about because um, everybody's experience is different. But you know, like we've stressed, it's you know we're trying to trying to coach people and help people from a, a principled point of view and not you know from you know, stuff that's not sustainable or you know we're not we're not trying to trying to sell you the next amazing twelve week program at all.
0: Yeah, and like I'm going to get you back on too because there's a few questions I was going to ask you about how you structure health and fitness stuff around your family and things. So we'll do another tattoo. Yeah, I
1: know. I I think, I think somebody asked that question. Yeah. um, Dawn um, asked,
0: which is cool. We can get to later. But I think you answered a lot of it anyway, but the really cool thing I reckon people should take away from it is what you're doing in the prison for the inmates is pretty much how people should sort of look at what they're doing for themselves. If they want to improve their mood and just be more active and get leaner, it's the sense is like yeah, it's,
1: yeah, doing if, things you if, enjoy
0: any, and doing yeah, an but unconditional but take, positive regard is huge. That part alone I reckon is massive.
1: And any opportunity you've got to be active, take it. Like if an opportunity yeah. comes up for 10 minutes to be active, be active. Like, because, you know, um, yeah. If, if you get a chance to get up from your desk and go for a walk for 10 minutes, geez, take it because, you know, it'll do so much more for you than you could ever, ever think it would.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, Love it, man. Thanks heaps for jumping on the call.
1: Um, it's been great talking to you and, you know, hopefully. It-
0: Thank you for listening to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize show. We'll have more episodes coming next week and if you could like and share and give us a review on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it and just share it with all the people you think that this podcast episode would help. Thanks very much and look forward to talking to you guys next week.